is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of Medical Product Outsourcing, back once again for another episode of Mike on MedTech, the show on the MedTech Matters channel, podcast channel. Joining me as always, Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. How are you today, Mike? I'm well, thank you, Sean. Great. So, uh, so today we're going to look at uh, something that should be impacting just about every uh, every, especially, well, certainly every design engineer in the, in the medical device space, but probably expands a little bit more than that, and that is human factors, or otherwise known as usability. So, Mike, let's, let's get right into it. Uh, why, is, why is human factors important for medical device development? That's a great question, Sean, and thanks for the opportunity to have this discussion because uh, this is a very important topic for the entire medical device industry. So human factors or usability or ergonomics, it goes by a number of different names, uh, is very important in medical devices for the same reason that it's important with, um, with cars and with airplanes and with everything else, and that is we want to make sure that the device can be used uh, by the, the user, whether they are a, uh, a, a medical professional, a surgeon, a physician, a nurse, a pharmacist, or in some cases, we'll talk about the patient themselves, we want to make sure that the, the device can be used by that user, and specifically, we want to make sure that they can use it to accomplish whatever that device is intended or labeled to, 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 to do. And one of the things that um, uh, is a challenge in the medical device industry, especially, Sean, uh, unlike a lot of other industries, um, is that most medical devices, for example, um, surgical instruments or endoscopes or catheters, the people that are designing those products are not the same people that are using them. So an R&D engineer, for example, I used to be an R&D engineer many years ago, Sean, uh, an R&D engineer that's designing a catheter, for example, is never going to use that actual catheter in a patient. And so this is another reason why usability is so important. Imagine this scenario, Sean, um, you're, you're, you're designing a car, but you never get behind the wheel to test drive that car as the designer. That's kind of the, the dilemma that we face here. So does that make sense? That's essentially why uh, the most important reason why usability is important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 you know, it gives me several questions just, just right off the cuff, which would be, Fire away. You know, how, how is this not, you know, how is this not just an automatic uh, process for, for a company that wants the customer that's not their employees to use this product, why wouldn't they reach out to those customers and say, especially when it, you're talking about a technical industry or, or you know, a, 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 I shouldn't say technical, a specialized industry such as healthcare where it's, you know, a, an orthopedic surgeon. You're not going to reach out to just surgeons. You're going to reach out to an orthopedic surgeon for an orthopedic device. You're going to reach out to a cardiovascular uh, surgeon for, a, you know, a, a device intended for the heart. I mean, so the fact that not that, you know, for lack of a better word, not to insult anyone, but laymen uh, when it comes to medical technology who are designing it, but not using it. And they're not speaking to the customer. So, that brings me to my next question. You know, and I think I already know the answer, but were human factors or usability always required by the FDA? 
Yeah, the short answer to your question, Sean, is absolutely not. And backing up a second to what you just said about uh, this should be, um, you didn't use this phrase, but I will, this should be a no-brainer. You know, right. the companies should be doing this anyway. Um, but regrettably, Sean, uh, they haven't. And the short answer to the question of uh, have companies always had to do this, no. Uh, the precipitating factor that led to usability testing requirements across the board was the infusion pump fiasco that happened about eight years ago. Uh, long story short, and anybody that's involved in usability, if you are not familiar with the infusion pump um, fiasco, as I like to call it, you're really not doing your job because that was the precipitating factor that led to all of the usability guidance and the usability requirements that have now gone into effect. For those in the audience that are not familiar, uh, around eight years or so ago, um, there were a litany of problems with um, infusion pumps. Uh, from uh, there, there were some 80 recalls from a variety of different manufacturers. It wasn't just simply one company. And uh, FDA invited a number of people to come in, including myself, and talk about this. Mm -hmm. At that time, Sean, believe it or not, there were some people that were advocating uh, that we needed clinical trials for infusion pumps. And I said, what are you, crazy? You smoking your socks? That's nuts. There's nothing that you can test for uh, an infusion pump in a clinical trial that you can't on the bench. But because of all of these problems that led to recalls, these were all uh, user-related issues, um, that was what uh, led to this. Because prior to, um, and I don't remember exactly the date, but prior to when this happened approximately eight or so years ago, I think FDA only had one guidance in the area of usability, and it was from quite some time ago. Since then, we now have uh, close to a dozen. And so that's where all this, this happened. But to your point, Sean, and I think this is a valid uh, observation, I would like to think that we would work in an industry where companies would understand that usability is obviously very important for medical devices and that we should do that testing anyway, regardless of if it's required or not. But unfortunately, Sean, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday, and some <laughs> companies didn't do it. As a matter of fact, most companies did not. Right, right. Well, and and you bring up an, another item. You mentioned another item that I that I wanted to to cover, and that was, um, what is the difference between usability or human factors, and and conducting a clinical trial? Where where you know what's the differentiation between those two things? Great question, Sean. This is a question that I get very very frequently. As a matter of fact, I got it from one of the companies that I was a customer of mine just yesterday. Uh, what's the difference between uh, a clinical trial versus a human factor or usability study? Uh, historically, uh, most medical devices in the past, you know, surgical instruments or mm -hmm. catheters or endoscopes, the, the user and the patient were not the same. In other words, think about a surgical instrument, right, a, a scalpel, for example. The user is the surgeon, and the patient is uh, is different. The patient is the, is, the, is the person lying on the table. And right. so in those cases, it made sense to do a separate usability study and a clinical trial. But nowadays, Sean, as you know, we have more and more medical devices uh, where the user and the patient is one, is, is one and the same. In other words, the person using the device is the same as the person that the device is being used on. So the way I like to differentiate between a usability study and a clinical trial, and FDA does not do this, but this is my simple differentiation, is right. in a clinical trial, the focus is on the user, 
whereas in a human factor study, the focus is on, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong, let me back up. In a clinical trial, the focus is on the patient. In a, in a human factor study, the focus is on the user. So let me just say that one more time. In a clinical trial, the focus is on the patient, whereas in a usability study or a human factor study, the focus is on the user. I mentioned a scalpel a moment ago. Let me use that as a, as a metaphor to, to illustrate. So if we were doing a clinical trial on a scalpel, the focus would be on the patient. Is the blade sufficiently sharp to cut through the type of tissue that it's intended to cut through without causing undue trauma, undue bleeding, and so on and so on? That would be the emphasis on the, on the clinical trial side. If instead we were doing a usability study on exactly the same scalpel, the emphasis would be on the user. In other words, it, can the uh, scalpel um, uh, fit in the surgeon's hand? Can he or she uh, control it appropriately, uh, apply the appropriate force to get the, you know, the scalpel to cut through the, the tissue and so on, the intended use? So the, fo so, so, so the, um, uh, the clinical trial that focuses on the, the patient, the usability study that focuses on the, the user. Now, let me take it one step further, and then, uh, Sean, you tell me what, what you think. Nowadays, as I said, more and more medical devices uh, are be in that gray area where the user and the patient are one and the same. In those cases, and I've done this many times at, uh, at FDA, Sean, we will combine the clinical trial and the usability study into one. In other words, what's the point of doing separate studies if there's a, a tremendous amount of overlap? If you're going to do that, and this is still a relatively uncommon approach, but it's something that I will do in situations that warrant it. If you're going to do that, my advice to companies is go ahead and combine them mechanistically. But in other words, design a protocol, for example, that will uh, that will obtain uh, that will meet your clinical trial objectives as well as your usability objectives. But psychologically, still think of them as two separate and distinct trials uh, or studies. And the reason is that the the two different studies are going to have different objectives. Uh, remember, right. as I said now a couple of times, Sean, on the clinical uh, trial side, your objectives are going to have to do with the patient. Whereas on the human factor side, your objectives are going to have to deal with the, the user. I know I went through an awful lot of stuff there, Sean, and I'm not sure if I'm explaining it real well. Does, do you think that makes sense? Well, let me just let me just uh, see if see if I have it, um, please. Because my my read of it is that the clinical trial is really more about achieving the desired effect of the technology, whereas the human factors. Uh, study is about the way in which the technology is interfaced with. Yeah, I think that's that's very very close. I'm not going to say what you just said is wrong. I would I would maybe phrase it just slightly differently. The clinical trial, the effect is on the patient. In other words. Um, you know, our, we have to demonstrate, you know, the, 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 what you call the purpose of the technology or in the regulatory right. world, the, the intended use. On the usability side, it would be to demonstrate that the user, the surgeon or, or patient or whoever it is, can use the device properly to achieve that effect. So th there's definitely a relationship, not to quibble on, on terminology, but I, I, I don't have any real big problem with, with the way you just described it. 
Right. Now, another a follow-up question to that, would the human, would, now you're, you're talking about combining in certain cases, of course, but certain cases having, combining the, the human factor study with the uh, clinical trial. I'm assuming that for that to take place, you're basically, you basically shut off design uh, and you're, you're, you know, with a clinical trial, as I understand it, you're, you've, you have your device and you're doing the clinical trial to uh, achieve uh, um, regulatory clearance. I, and I, again, please correct me if, if I'm wrong. Whereas a human factor study could be conducted multiple times, you could work with physicians or surgeons or whomever that end user is multiple times in that development window to further tweak and adjust and, and make uh, uh, modifications to the device, whereas the clinical trial, you've basically settled on your final design, your final device. Is that accurate? It is actually accurate, Sean, and let me just uh, the, to try to clarify here. Um, on, the, on the human factor side, without getting into a bunch of fancy-schmancy terminology like summative versus formative testing and so on, basically there's two types of human factor studies that we can do. One is during the development of the device itself, that is before you get to the design freeze. And then the second is after you get to design freeze. Right. So let's talk about the human factors testing that you might do during the development, that is pre-design freeze. The purpose of that testing is to um, provide feedback to the R&D engineers to make sure that they design the product and make changes to the design to, make, to improve the usability. So that kind of testing from an engineering perspective certainly makes sense. That kind of testing, by the way, is not really that much of a concern to the FDA because that's still part of the development process, and FDA doesn't regulate, per se, the development of the device. They want to see the final device. Right. So now let's fast forward to once you get to the point of design freeze, the human factors testing that you do after that. That kind of testing, Sean, FDA is very concerned about. This is part of your final verification and validation or VNV testing. That particular testing should be done on the final production or manufacturable device or as close to that as possible. And that, the reason why FDA is concerned about is because that's the device that's actually going to be, you know, manufactured and, and, and marketed and, and, and used, you know, by, by the, your customers. On the clinical trial side, though, it's really very much the same. Oftentimes, we'll do a clinical trial of a device. Uh, maybe we won't call it a clinical trial. Let's call it a, a clinical test, a proof of principle, prior to design freeze, just to make sure we're kind of you know, going in the right direction. And it could be done in a patient. It could be done in an animal. could be done in a number of different ways. I remember years ago, Sean, as an R&D engineer, I might have, say, 10 different uh, iterations of a device uh, that are slightly different in design, I can't possibly pursue all of them. So I'm right. going to test my device, uh, maybe in a benchtop model, maybe in an animal model, maybe sometimes even a clinical model, to see which of those 10 are worth pursuing. But then once I get to the point of design freeze, now I'm going to do my formal clinical trial to, to demonstrate safety and efficacy and performance, you know, and all those other things. So there's a lot of similarities between the two, if you understand the, the, the logic of the clinical trial as well as the, the human factor study. 
Right. Yeah. No. I think I think that helps you know clarify and and uh, highlight the differences between the different types when we're talking about human factors. Um, so let's get back to the to the human factors that are relevant to the FDA specifically. Um, are there certain types of devices, uh, you know, currently that that the FDA is uh, that I'm sorry the devices that are required to go through, or is it every device across the board, or are there just certain ones that the FDA are, is saying need to be, you know, go through this human factors validation testing or study? Well, first of all, uh, no regulation is written in absolute terms. So there's nothing that says every single medical device needs to undergo human factors testing. Uh, and I would be against such a, a black and white requirement like that. But I can tell you that it, the vast majority of medical devices today, um, uh, the expectation is that you're going to do some kind of human factors testing on it unless you go to the FDA and convince them that in my particular case for this device it's not necessary and here's the, here are all the reasons why. So the short answer to your question, Sean, is it's become the rule that, uh, you know, everything else being equal, that medical devices will need some form of human factor testing, um, and it's become the exception, certainly not, you know, uh, unheard of, but it's come, become the exception that, that they don't. But more importantly for our audience to understand, Sean, it's not a binary decision. It's, it's like, you know, people ask me, is a clinical trial required or is it not? It's not a binary decision. Oftentimes it's the, it's, it's, it's the areas of gray in between. Right. How big of a clinical trial? How many patients are we talking about? Ten patients, a hundred, a thousand. Similarly, with um, usability testing, it's not a matter of is it required or not. It's a matter of um, how much of that testing. You know, how many users, how many sites, how uh, extensive, how elaborate of a of a of, of a list of tasks are you going to ask them to go through, and so on. Um, but again, to summarize, the vast majority of medical devices today, some form of human factor testing is uh, is typically expected right okay well i have a i have a scenario for you from from a recent experience where i where i went to ces which is the consumer electronics show takes place every year in, in las vegas uh and they have you know tech from from healthcare through to you know consumer you know automotive and and you know the big televisions and what's you know the latest and greatest some really cool gadgets and you know uh drones things like that so anyway so i'm at that event and obviously it's driven by a lot of uh consumer-ish tech companies that are trying to cater to a healthcare application so for example one i came across was uh it 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 basically focused around senior monitoring. It was it it enabled, uh, or I'm sorry, it it, it had to do with uh, falls and and notifying based on the gait of the person, based on you know a few a few parameters, uh, whether or not they were uh, likely to fall. So so okay, that sounds great. You know maybe alerts the person to sit down. My problem was a human factors problem. I just don't know if this is something that the, would be covered by the FDA or if this is just poor design. And the, the issue was that the information ran off of Bluetooth. So it did not 
leverage any sort of technology to transmit the indication to a caregiver or a family member. So that was my first problem. My second problem is that the information, this, the monitor, required a cell phone. I know there are a lot of you know, elderly and senior citizens using cell phones. I know for a fact my father doesn't have one. He still has a flip phone. He doesn't even like using that. So this technology, wouldn't, he would not be able to use it, which was an issue at a few of the, the stands. So those kind of issues, is that just a poor design when it comes to human factors and not knowing who your user is? Or is that a something where the FDA would step in? What, you know, how, how, do, how do you clarify what you know, a human factors from a regulatory, from a, from a FDA issue is to a, just a poor design? Well, that's a very clever question, Sean, and it's a, it's a very interesting scenario, and uh, so thanks for, for, for sharing that with me. Um, here's my thoughts, and obviously, you know, I can only base my recommendations uh, based, you know, on the tiny bit of information that you just sh- uh, shared. Uh, if the information, you, you brought up two points. One is the, it's only Bluetooth and it's not transmitting this information to a, a family member, I think is, is the first one that you said. Right, correct. So in that case, um, it's probably not a usability issue because if the device is labeled so that it's only, that information is only going to be displayed to the, to the person, to the patient using it, the company, from a usability perspective, doesn't have any obligation to um, to transmit that information to a family member or to a healthcare provider. I understand your point. Maybe it's poor design, and, and in fact, it might not be really taking into account. You know, if these p- people are elderly, maybe they have some cognitive uh, uh, impairment or something like that, and you might you know want to transmit that information. But on the surface, Sean, I would not peg that as a usability failure, I would certainly raise the question that you just did to the company, and that is, hey, shouldn't we design this in a way that that information is, 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 is transmitted? Uh, so that's the response to the first part. And then the second part being displaying this information, I think you said, on a cell phone. Of right. course, the underlying assumption there is that the person uh, has a cell phone and knows how to use it. Uh, exactly. That's a pretty big assumption as well. Exactly. Uh, from a regulatory perspective, Sean, that would not raise any red flags with me because we can handle that from a labeling uh, uh, standpoint. We just label the device that it needs to be used with a, with a cell phone. But again, is that poor design as a professional biomedical engineer? I think that probably is in a sense of poor design because you would want to be able to give people an option, especially people, you know, older people. I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, um, pejorative here, but uh, if they don't have a cell phone, my mom, for example, has a cell phone, but it's not a smartphone. So she probably, you know, couldn't use this. So I would say that um, based on what you just said, Sean, that, uh, both examples are probably poor design in the sense that they're not taking into account the, the real world, the people that are going to be using it. But from a strict regulatory usability kind of a perspective, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a failure there. Okay. Well, good to know. I mean, that's how I, I view it. I view it as poor design. And, and by the way, when I did ask some of these questions to the company, uh, I got some some blank stares. Granted, the person who is displaying the technology, I don't know if they're a paid, you know, person just to <laughs> just to work the booth, or so it's I don't want to make assumptions. Person. 
Exactly. I don't want to make assumptions in that respect, but I will say from an engineering design standpoint, it was it seemed very apparent that the people who designed it were not aware of who would possibly be using it or who would or what their situation was. So I really doubt there was any sort of human factors testing done in the design of the device. So that, and beyond that kind usability, of Sean, if there's a failure here, as I said, I don't think it's a failure in usability. I think it's a failure in the overall regulation because, and specifically the design controls, because what you're describing in that scenario to me is one of the most basic tenets of the design controls, and that is uh, make sure that you design your device to meet the needs of your user. And so what you're describing to me, you know, here doesn't sound like they've done that. So. Clearly, there are failures here, but I just don't think they're usability failures per se. Right, right, at least not as the FDA is concerned. All right, well, I know I have a, a, a several questions uh, left on this topic, but I know we're running, you know, we're running out of time. So I'm going to say we're going to wrap up there, and we'll continue this discussion in a, in a second part uh, with Mike, of course, who can, uh, you know, review several other topics such as, you know, what the penalties can be for, uh, you know, having a, a poor usability or, you know, running into trouble with the FDA as far as usability. I'll leave it at that. Um, but again, I have several more questions. I don't want to rush through them. So we're going we're gonna to end there. And I hope you can join us for part two of the Human Factors Usability Study. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for listening.